0: Hi, this is Nicole DeBoer, and you're listening to Women at Warp.
1: Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With me this week is Jara. Hello, listeners. Today we're going to be returning to our coverage from Star Trek Las Vegas, but we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. Ah! If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media, up to silly watch-along commentaries, which i got to say are one of my favorite things we do. So you know we're really putting some love into it.
2: Yeah, and patrons get to vote on which ones we, we watch. Uh, so last one we did was Trouble with Tribbles, and it was super fun.
1: Which was actually a pretty good one as far as episodes go. We've had to do some really painful ones. So please give us money and pay for our suffering. <laughs> Visit us at www.patreon.com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts awesome except the deep web you probably don't get a lot of good podcasts there and if you do we don't want to hear about it yeah
2: yeah don't stay away leave us out of there please um a couple weeks ago uh you may have heard our episode where we got together and we talked about our highlights from star trek las vegas and today we are returning so many highlights uh I know. I went out for dinner with friends today and they were like, how did you have dinner with Adam Nimoy? And I'm like, I still don't even know. (laughs) Oh, that old thing.
1: We do that.
2: But yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, thanks to our supporters for helping us get there. And uh, this is uh, some more of our coverage coming out of that convention. We have for you today the audio of both of our panels that we did. So we're just going to go in chronological order and – I, I guess I'll intro the panel that I was on, which was women in Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, our very special guest was Gates McFadden, who obviously played Dr. Crusher. Um, and the other panelists are other people you might recognize from previous Women at Warp episodes. We had Elisa Pearl, who was on our episode about Guinan. We had uh, Lucía Lorenzi, who was on our episode about uh, Barclay's mental health. And we had uh, Kayla Yakavino, who I think has been on our show twice. I definitely remember one of them was Kurt's love interests.
1: Yeah, she's been around, she's been around a few times.
2: Yeah, I, I'm having trouble remembering the second one, but anyway, awesome uh, women at Warpy type people. So the Warpies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Um, I hope you enjoy the audio. um I think that you know this was the first time I had moderated this panel. It's a panel that's been around for a long time um in different forms at vegas um previously moderated by uh, Mary Serwinski and later Amy imhoff and uh it was definitely the first time I think I've moderated a panel in front of that many people. And you always learn something valuable. And uh, I would say that like the vast majority of the feedback on the panel was really, really overwhelmingly positive. But as a feminist moderator, I'm conscious of the fact that when you are in charge of a stage, you have a responsibility to try to not reproduce the same types of power structures that we often criticize, that, you know, make some people's voices more important than others. And uh, so I really appreciate that a couple of audience members did bring forward that they felt that, uh, unfortunately, uh, the women of color on the panel weren't given as much time as the white women. and. Um, I always really appreciate when people like raise constructive feedback on things and, uh, take that seriously and want to, um, you know, think about how we can do better. And I've, you know, talked to everyone since and, um, I think that the panelists all felt like it went really well. And, uh, you know, for next time, there's definitely things we could work on, but, um, I hope you enjoy our discussion, which ranges from, uh, talking about the characters that inspired us as kids to what we would like to see out of, Star Trek Discovery and how Discovery could learn from the women of TNG. So, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We're going to have a discussion about what the women of TNG meant to the four of us as fans growing up and uh, get Gates' insight on how things were behind the scenes and the role of Dr. Crusher. Um, So I just want to start out and let the panelists give uh, themselves a quick introduction. Um, So I'll start on that end with Lucia. Uh, Hi everyone, Uh, my name is Lucia Lorenzi.
3: By day I'm a boring academic. Um, I do a lot of uh, work in English literature, I have a Ph.D. in English literature, and I also do a lot of criticism, which just means I'm on Twitter a lot, um, writing essays. Um, yeah, so I'm here sort of as, a, as an academic, but also as a really big uh, fan of Star Trek, and as a feminist writer. Eliza, I
4: am Aliza Pearl. Hi. Uh, hi. Uh, I'm an actor, writer, and producer. I have um, a lot of Star Trek and sci-fi related things I do. Um, mainly, I'm on a Star Trek RPG show on Geek & Sundry called Shield of Tomorrow. Um, I'm also uh, writing and producing um, a sci-fi series inspired by guidance backstory called The Listener and uh, I'll just say
0: those two for now. Cool. Well, I'm, we all know Hi, me,
2: but...
4: I'm
0: Gates McFadden and uh, Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and uh, I'm a, an actor, director, choreographer and producer and I also uh, was in academia for 35 years, teaching at conservatories and graduate and undergraduate universities in the United States.
5: Fabulous. And Kayla. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Dr. Kaylee Arcovino. I'm, uh, uh, by day, a volcanologist, which means I study volcanoes, not Vulcans. Um, and by night, I uh, run the trekmovie.com and I'm a co-host of the Pod podcast really excited to, to be on this panel today with all you amazing people.
0: I study Vulcans.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. So um, the first question I have is for our fan panelists and uh, we asked everyone to pick one woman from Next Generation who inspires them and to say a little bit about that. And of course, we can't all pick Dr. Crusher as much as we would love to. Um, but uh, So I'm going to start with Aliza. Okay, um, so uh,
4: Watching Trek as a kid, I didn't latch on specifically to any characters. It just, in general, it inspired me to be obsessed with sci-fi, and so that followed me throughout adulthood. And then, about five years ago, I started watching, there's a blog that someone probably in this room created, called the Star Trek Chronology Blogspot, and I started just watching all of Trek chronologically. And when I got to TNG, I got to Guinan, and just seeing Guinan again, watching, just being watching Star Trek and Guinan as an adult, really, something about that character hit home for me. And I just saw her as this, um, we knew so little about her, she was such a mystery. And she was so steady and full, like emotionally full and present and fallible still. She wasn't someone who just came on and said, you're doing this wrong. She also had her moments of having to be humble and humbled And I just was really inspired by her as being a full, a a person who can be fallible yet still be very strong and wise.
2: Amazing. Um, So my pick um, was actually when I was a little kid, the first character that I really latched onto was Troy. And I think that's because to me she was like space princess. And she had like the jeweled crown kind of thing. And she's all like in the purple. And um, as an adult, I look back on that and that's, you know, a little bit more problematic for me but i think i really value um even though i think maybe the scripts didn't always value the role of her as a mental health professional on a starship and i think that um that would be like a super important role we got to see someone who had really strong emotional intelligence and who was in touch with other people's feelings and then she got episodes like face of the enemy where got to show that she had skills in unexpected and serious situations as well and i wish we had kind of got to see more of that um but uh, that is uh the character that as a kid um resonated with me and now as an adult but in a very different way next uh we have lucia
3: um so the character that i picked growing up i was a really shy child um and so i picked Roxana troy because she's very and vivacious and walks into a room with these amazing clothes and she has this fantastic presence um, not only as a mother but as a woman who knows what she wants and is very confident in her sexuality and in her opinions and looking back i kind of you know i really admire her for taking up space in that way and also as an as an older woman as an older character on television i think we we don't often see older women on television that are allowed to be complex and allowed to be to be sensual, but also to have deep grief and deep sorrow. And just watching the relationship between her and Deanna, who, you know, is sort of ashamed and embarrassed of her mother a lot of the time, but but seeing the connection between the two of them and really seeing Loxana as, 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 a, as a, a really fantastic, vibrant woman. So, yeah. Absolutely.
2: Kayla. Uh,
5: so, um... I have to admit, I'm uh, uh, almost embarrassed at the fact that I picked uh, Beverly Crusher. It's going to sound like I'm sucking up, but I'm not. (laughs)
6: Um,
5: But yeah, honestly, if you guys have listened to to the Shuttlepod podcast at all, you'll know that I'm the hashtag Team Bev. (laughs) And uh, yeah, she was always a really important character for me growing up. And I think, you know, everyone watching Star Trek takes something different away from it. They notice different things about it and the thing for me that was always pulling me towards it was this scientific angle, the exploration angle, and Beverly was this woman who was intelligent, she was inquisitive, she was curious, and um, you know, like a boss, she was able to come into these situations and examine them using the scientific method and, you know, come out of that. And at the same time, she was a mother and a woman, and it wasn't, it was never, oh, remember how she's a woman by the way just throwing that it was just like no she's just a mom who's also an awesome doctor and scientist and that's someone who I, like definitely looked up to it has inspired I think a lot of the way just I saw women in those kinds of fields growing up as a kid so yeah very inspirational to me
2: awesome (laughs) so um next we wanted to ask you, Gates, about what your first thoughts were about Dr. Crusher's character and how that has changed over the course of the series and the ensuing 30
0: years. Uh, Well, just you know, when I first um, auditioned, I I told people I I had my pick of uh, any of the characters. I believe I was the first woman who auditioned, actually. And uh, they had three scenes. I was the only person in the office and i picked the funniest scene which was pretty much the only funny scene i had <laughs> for the rest of the series but who knew at the time i thought it was going to be a very hilarious character and because uh, i love comedy and i had done a lot of it on the new york stage um, i actually was not sure uh, if i wanted to do tv and i had not watched star trek so it Jean was the one who convinced me and said listen she's She's, I want this character to ha- be all of it. I want her to be really brilliant and be the chief medical officer. I want her to be the only one who really, uh, besides uh, Riker and she are the only two who could actually force the captain to step down. I could do it because of medical uh, uh, a diagnosis. And, um, and he also wanted me to be the um, love interest of Picard. That was made super clear. Um, that changed over the years but that was a studio decision I believe but that's why that was the basis upon which I took the job was that it was all of that and she was a mother a single parent which I thought was really brilliant I thought the fact of putting real life into all of this wonderful sci-fi adventure and mystery and all of that to actually put the, the fact that you have to also make sure your your children uh, are doing well and you have to know what's going on with their lives and you have to take responsibility, even if he, you know, whether he saves the ship or whether he's doing something that puts you in a warp bubble. Um, I, think, I think, you know, that that was very important to me and I, I think one of the, the the arguments that I had uh, in the first season, which I think cost me dearly, um, but I, I really felt that there was a short shrift of, if, if Wesley Crusher is as brilliant as he was saving the ship so many times, um, why was there no intellectual relationship between the mother and son? Because I, that really disturbed me. I said, every time there's anything that's intellectual or inquisitive, it's always with one of the male figures. And obviously he needs a male figure in his life, obviously. Uh, so it wasn't that I didn't think that should happen, but I said, but it's only the emotional things that you portray between Wesley and I. And I didn't feel that was real. And um, so, um, yeah, I, I rubbed some people the wrong way because of that, but it was something I truly, truly felt and I believed in. Um, I see single parents all the time who are struggling. They are. If you are a good parent, you are there, you are helping your child through all of their... Um, uh, emotional and intellectual and all of what, what they want to do in their lives and it's, it's super important and I also think it was prophetic because young people today are the ones who really do know technology, it's like second nature to them, they are doing things literally, the younger people in my life personal life can read that scroll on the twitter feed faster than my eyes can actually see it and it's something that's, that's it's, it's happening because uh, they've grown up with technology they're not afraid of it in the same way that uh, some people um, in my generation and my parents' generation were. So I think that's that's one thing. And I do think that it changed in the, with the studio. I think that they, there was a decision not to go further, too far with the Crusher Picard, and there, uh, because obviously there are many directions it could have gone. It could have been really fascinating. It was fascinating as it was. We got to explore different things, um, and I thought that attached was one of the attempts to do that um it was so sad that that
5: got, kind of got reset yeah at the end of that episode yeah that's one of my favorite episodes oh you. And, and i loved watching that you know hashtag team bev <laughs> I, loved, I loved watching the beverly picard thing and and they, they shared this, this this strong emotional connection yeah. and at the end of it you know picard i think comes to beverly and is like hey so know should we go further with
0: this well I think what's interesting is I just wish that connection whether it was going one way or another could have just been explored more because I think it's really interesting the idea that you have to work with somebody that you have an emotional connection with and then how do you deal with that and how it changes and that's that's a really interesting thing in the workplace I should think Uh, but in terms of in terms of what I feel about the shift now I will say this that I am absolutely humbled every time I do a convention by uh, the impact of the show in general and by um, the role model that all of our characters it's not and it's I'm certainly not going to take credit for Dr. Crusher that was created by writers and it was a joint effort with costumers and makeup and hair and all of that but I I think it's just wonderful that there can be role models for um, young women and men and that they are positive and I also find it deeply moving that um, many people who have had operations and have trouble and are in uh, hospitals for multiple operations, Star Trek and just belief in the medical that profession, that it's, things are going to be curable and that you can do this uh, and that actually helps to keep them going and get them through it. That's fantastic. Uh, I mean, what an honor to be even part of it. And also, I have had people who have gone through multiple foster homes, and have literally told me that watching Dr. Crusher was the mother figure. And I'm like, okay, so I don't take any personal responsibility for that, but that's fantastic that that exists for people, because how hard to have to go through different foster homes, and to have something like Star Trek, be it Picard, be it, be it number one, no matter who, Deanna Troy. Guinan, to have these role models is is so important and i i'm i'm totally in awe of the people who created the show I, I'm much more as i'm older because i realize what a triumph it was and a lot of that of course is because of the fans but we have smart fans and when i first got into star trek people were always going oh these weirdo fans and i you know what and that was totally not true we we have amazingly bright fans and i'm very very pleased to be part of it
2: So um, another question we had for you is that uh, so you were one of only six women to ever direct Star Trek and um, wanted to know what it was like directing TNG um, and how would you characterize the role of women behind the scenes more generally?
0: Oh, that's a tough one because I think um, it really is hard. I came from academia in terms of and I was um, like I would be choreographer of a theater company in New York or I you know was um, I was used to speaking up and sp- and I was given the respect to say what I felt and um, we that was what you did you didn't always have to agree that as long as you were respectful and I really was not good at politics I'm probably still horrible at politics um, but I think people weren't used to that in the studio system. There really is a chain of command. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't sensitive to what that really was because I didn't understand it at all. I came from a very different background. So I think I didn't understand why I, it took so long to even get a directing position because I had had directing and choreographic experience working as choreographer on Jim Henson's film. I really did you know, uh, take charge on, on, on scenes and would walk into a stage and be the one who would pick the dancers and pick this. And so I, I but I never was given that. And, um, and then I finally got a chance and it was, it was fantastic. It was probably my favorite um, time because I got to use much more of my mind and do things that I'd been wanting to do for all the seasons. like. You know use the medical jars that no one had ever they'd always been on the set but i actually got to to put something in it you know which was also a sense of humor because like i i was you know i'd say to brent i'm putting your stuff in that jar man and i'd take that little sample and i'd put it in there because no one had ever used this stuff so that was super super fun um what can i say i think i think uh it, it's changing i think uh, it's finally starting to open up, but I can say to everyone here, you must be vigilant because in the, there are things happening right now in the South that are taking away women's rights and I think we all must be aware of things. It took years for things to happen and that can be you know, taken away very quickly. Um, so. For what, whatever that's worth I don't know but but I remember I, I remember growing up let me just say I grew up and my mother my mother started off as a bank teller and she became the first um vice president of a bank in Ohio okay and I she was also fired because she was told on Christmas Eve because she was told she didn't have a family to support she was a woman not a man And uh, she had done nothing wrong, but the bank had been bought by a larger bank in New York, and that's what they did at that time they came in. And she, had it been 10 years later, she might have, you know, thought about suing or something, but she didn't. And I grew up watching, literally, I would come from middle school, and I would have the bank, the guy who was, she would be secretary, she would have reached the point of secretary, and in front of me would actually unzip her dress and say, oh, we got a red one on today, and zip it back up. So I grew up where there was a tremendous amount of madmen sort of discrimination with women and you had to put up with a lot that was humiliating. So I think that really got me to be uh, strong about women's rights and, and to care about things like that because it was really not fun to have to witness certain things that went on. And it happened to me also uh, as a young person who was you know, dancing and singing and trying to do things, the assumption of a lot of other grief that comes with that when you're working so hard. <laughs> so it was it was really interesting. So anyway, that's enough on that.
2: Um, thanks so much. <laughs> uh, Alisa, I see you. Yeah,
4: <laughs> Go ahead. I just wanted to say it's amazing to hear you talk about speaking up on set and with the writers and producers because I think that's sometimes the hardest thing for us to do when we're in a position where we're like, I feel like this is not quite, you know, the message that we want to say. I have an idea, um, you know, and as an actor and writer myself, like, and producer, I, it's so great to hear you say that, because sometimes I feel like I'm, I might sabotage my own career and the politics and all that stuff by being the one who's always saying, no, let's do it this way, let's think of that, oh, that's offensive, you know, having to call, constantly call that out. I feel like I'm sacrificing
0: my own, you know, yeah. relationships with people, professional relationships. It's a very fine line, I think, and I'm sure it happens in uh, academia as well. It's a fine line, uh, and I, I do not think I do it particularly well, so make, make, I want to make that very clear. Uh, I, I'm struggling just like everybody else, because I think what happens is, you know, most of the things we do that... <laughs> uh, from there it's a fear it's a fear of not being seen as who you are it's a fear of somebody taking advantage of you it's fear and so what happens when we we feel fear is we become very defensive and I know that I you know a lot of people go oh she's so tough or whatever actually you're just covering up your own you know fear and so it's really it's something to learn how to do it in a way that doesn't totally offend people and put them off and to sort of deal with your fear and go okay it's all right. it's all right." and now I'm going to just say this. Because the truth is, there are a lot of people who, and a lot of women who do manipulate through sexuality and using things. And that's a fact, too. So you have to just look at how do I feel, who am I, what am I willing to lose, what is my responsibility, and, you know, what matters the most. And those are decisions you have to make every day, as far as I'm concerned.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, especially in terms of, like, having these conversations about what each generation does, like, we can so easily forget, right, what was happening 30, 60 years ago. And so having these conversations and pulling those threads through and, and yeah, seeing the progress that we've made, but seeing that some of the struggles are just kind of cycling around and around. And by talking to each other, I think that's, that's where we gain strength of, like, are
2: you feeling this fear? Oh, I am too. Like, how did you cope with it? Yeah, when we were preparing for this panel, um, we all s- talked about the episode, Remember Me, which is, I think, such an important, powerful episode, and that moment when Dr. Krasher says, you know, if there's nothing wrong with me, maybe there's something wrong with the universe. And um, that, that, <laughs> that's one of my favorite. Absolutely. It's just like, I
5: think it's such I a want fun- that on the t-shirt.
2: Yeah. Just be able to, uh, you know, know that you you examine yourself when things feel wrong and you say, you know, what could I do differently? But sometimes there's a point where you just have to, like, speak your truth and um, realize that it's okay to, you know, tell other people, like, this doesn't feel
0: good and here's, like, how we can make it better. And that's, yeah. I love that episode because it also showed that, you know, she didn't just panic. It was like she really was doing... She was investigating it. She was curious. She was looking at it. And I really do feel that... The times when I am under duress, I go, come on, come on, guys, just do it like a scientist. You know, be curious. Just look at what it is. Don't be afraid of seeing what it is. And, you know, I I, I wish I'd I'd seen that sooner in myself because I think that's really the way to go. I think it's, it's the way we can all find something in common as well.
2: Absolutely. So we have uh, one more question, and um, hopefully we'll have time to take a couple questions from the floor as well. So uh, the last question, just for everyone, we want to throw it out there, is what do you think that Star Trek Discovery and other Trek going forward can learn from the women of the Next Generation?
5: Well, I think there's certainly a lot about the history of Trek and women behind the scenes that they can learn. It's um, so a little bit about what you've talked about. And you pointed out that what, only six women have ever directed Star Trek in 50 years. Out of like 730 odd yeah. hours. Yeah, how many hours yeah. Of, yeah, of Star Trek we have? And it seems like that's starting to change. In terms of discovery, I've been talking a lot about um, diversity, including women, uh, people of color, and people of different sexualities and gender identities. Um, you know, and it's like, it's kind of like it's about time. Now how did it take in 50 years to have a gay character in star trek
2: <laughs> absolutely and i think that another thing is um you know there's a sort of narrative when we talk about women in star trek that next generation Um, you know, while they only had women in quote-unquote nurturing roles. And I I think that that actually isn't so much the problem as the problem that those roles weren't valued, and that's something we see in our society, that you get paid less for doing these jobs that are, like, feminized and caring roles, even though they're super, super important. Mental health professional, doctor, super, super important jobs, and that it's important to see women in a diversity of roles, like security chiefs, badass Klingons, as well as more caring roles and, and you know i'd see men in those roles too so it's about a range
5: and i think something that that trek always did did well is uh diversity of 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 women in their personalities too so you had people who were uh, more feminine care you know in the traditional sense you know caring and, and motherly and then you also had people who were just you know harder more badass more you know a fighter Um, and all of those were okay, and all of those were portrayed, so yeah, definitely not pigeonholing that personality trait, too.
3: For sure, and on the first day, Dr. Mae Jemison was here, and she was talking about how images matter, and it was interesting for me hearing her say that as a child, she assumed that she was going to go into space, because I know for me, I've had experiences where I'm like, I haven't assumed anything, and what it means to be able to, like, see yourself, and sometimes, you know, you have to be the first, right? If you don't see yourself, you have to put yourself out
2: there, right? And I think that's what a lot of fan creation does as well so yeah um, Sally Ride said you, if you can't see it you can't be it mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. yeah I think we're, we've definitely like hit on the, the key thing about representation why it's so important it's not just about having the token character it's about making sure there's a diversity I think you said that really well Jara um,
0: I also you know it's do you realize Tasha, Yar and I never had one scene together or no. it was just she and I and Denise and I were always aware of that because Denise and I have actually, I've directed Denise in a theater production. She was fabulous. I mean, we, She's in the same theater company as I am in LA. And I mean, that's really interesting because that's the sort of thing that you, until you start to go back and look at it, you don't think much of it. But why did I never have any rapport with her? Why did, was, you know, she might have gotten injured. We might have had a discussion. What would that have been like? You know, I love thinking about things like that. So, um, you know, and also, I, I mean, it was so funny. We've, you've heard about this with that Robin Hood episode, how Marina and I had to just, we would do things like the, throw the traditional throw pots and stuff. And, of course, I actually had t- studied fencing. I had studied saber. I had done stunt, I, I, I would choreograph fights for theater companies in New York. And yet, you know, I, I rarely was used in that way because... Even, even at a convention, I remember coming into a convention, and I was in high heels, really high heels, this is quite a while ago, and I did um, a pratfall on stage, and people panicked they, I mean, anyone who knows falls knows I couldn't have possibly, I mean I would have been dead, right, so and, but it was shocking to have a woman in heels do a pratfall, it was like ooh, scary, and, and that's that's what's so interesting it's constantly something where even in conventions you see that there's a certain behavior that the women are supposed to do more than the guys and uh it's okay but it's there so i find it interesting there's no judgment on it because there's no point in that judgment but um can i write a fanfic
4: of you and tasha yar
0: yeah Yeah, yeah awesome
2: Well, um, let's uh, see if we can take a couple audience questions, starting over on this side. Hi there. Uh, My sister and I have been coming to the conventions for years, and we have noticed um, almost a total lack of female moderators on these panels. We were wondering if you have any insight as to why that might be. Uh, Well, you know, uh... I'm a podcaster, I'm not like an insider, I would say, in the convention business, but I think that there is, a bit of a, you know, you go to who you know, and um, there's a, uh, I think maybe a, yeah. and a, just a, it's not, I don't think it's intentional, I think it's who yeah. do, who do you think of first, and yeah. when you are um, someone who's already risen to a fairly high up position, like odds are you are maybe a white guy, and then you're thinking about your friends, and, or other people that you meet, and um, because women are already underrepresented in like powerful positions in the fandom, they just aren't the first people considered, but there's, lots of awesome women doing awesome things in the fandom, and uh, I think it would be great to see
0: more people moderating panels. Chase was, mo- was moderating a panel in Germany, and she did a fantastic yes. job. So, I mean, I think it's starting to change, right? I think so. This
1: is our official request for more female moderators.
0: Thank <laughs> you. Thanks.
2: Uh, we'll take a question over on this side.
7: I have something for Gates McFadden. What you said, a few minutes ago about the medical technology in Star Trek. About two months ago, I was in the hospital for a quadruple bypass on my heart, and I kept kidding. All the nurses and the doctors, I can't wait till the day when they have this little thing they can wave over you. Say here, you're cured. You're good for another hundred years. It'll be someday.
0: And it's starting to happen. They actually have a medical tricorder that's very close. I mean, they've had the contest, the X-Prize. And it, it's really starting to happen. It's phenomenal what's going on also with the study of the brain and the discoveries and the what's happening even with, um, uh, you know, radiology. We, we are so advanced, you know. I, I would have died about five times had I not been living now. And I think it's going to just get better and better. But I'm, I, I, how, how are you feeling now?
7: I'm feeling okay now, except when I cough it still hurts a little bit. Right in here, and out a little bit. But, yeah, you know,
0: someday we'll have where they can cure anything. You'll Wouldn't that forever. be great? That would be great. Well, I'm glad you're doing better. Lots of love. Thank you. We'll take a question over here. First of all, back to uh,
5: talking about Remember Me. I just had to say, um, when I wake up in the morning and I start reading the news, the first thing that starts going through my head is, well, there's nothing wrong with me. There must be something wrong with the
1: universe.
6: <laughs> so, um,
5: but my question is so, with Discovery coming out, uh, the media has been kind of highly emphasizing, you know, wow, this is the first time we have a female captain in Star Trek, or a female lead character. And that's not actually true, because right. um, we've had Captain Janeway. That's right. So, what do you think is. Different about it this time, or is it just cultural amnesia that they've generally forgotten that we had Captain Janeway? Like, what what's up with
4: that? What do you guys think? I've been th- I've been hearing more so that it's the first black female lead character. That might be what they're meaning to say. I'm not sure. But, yeah.
5: I think I, I certainly think there. It depends what outlets you read, right? I certainly think there's there's some amnesia there. Um, but you know, there is a, a point though that that Michael Burnham, the lead of Discovery, is. It, it, it's a, it, she's in a unique position in terms of Trek, where the, the show it seems is going to be really focused on her character quite a bit, so less less of a, an entourage yep. kind of cast and more really focused on her and the events around her. Um, so for whatever that's worth, but yeah, no, I think it's important to say, hey, look, there's 50 years of history that's come before this, and it's not just Trekkies that care about that. There's, a, you know, th- th- that's an important part of why this exists and why this is such an epic franchise and an important franchise, and so you know, long lasting and has such an impact and so we can't, we can't just erase all of that and say, oh, but look, we're being so diverse. It's like, well, Trek was breaking ground in the sixties. You've got to
0: acknowledge that. So yeah, point taken. And, and I think also, it, I mean, I'm, I think it's so smart with what the writers are doing. Um, because we've had a lot of the, the grand ones where it's the captain and the ensemble. And I think to actually see what would it be like from one person's point of view much more is really something i've thought about and i think it's really fascinating uh it, and i love you know i think a lot of what you it's not even amnesia as much as just their marketing you know to market something you, you, you say things in particular ways but i think it's going to be awesome i'm actually very excited to see it
2: and I think it's it's really important that she's a woman of color, and I also think um, Michelle Yeoh's casting was really smart. Uh, I mean, we've had, like, uh, the uh, um, Asian characters on Star Trek have not been some of the strongest. Like, we got Hoshi, we got Kim, we have Keiko O'Brien, there are some characters that, like, all, you know, all could have really, I think... been Fabulous had. actors.
1: Absolutely.
2: Fabulous. Absolutely. Dramatic. But unfortunately didn't get, like, a ton of great material, and um, so I think, um, you know, having Michelle Yeoh in this command position is also so super nice. smart, she's going to be a Fabulous. However long she lasts.
5: I mean, come on, she looks like a dead captain walking. <laughs>
2: I still think it's a good casting. <laughs> nico Green. It's going to be
6: great.
2: Uh, yes.
8: Uh, hello, my name is Cameron. I just wanted to thank Gates um, as well for being uh, an integral part of my childhood. I grew up watching The Next Generation, Voyager, and Deep Space Nine as well. So. Being a, a millennial, I hope that means something to the cast that it's still going on. Um, and as part of that, and as part of seeing, you know, women in more leadership roles or more important roles in TV, sort of as a man, um, being a feminist as well, um, I'm curious and I'm hoping you already sort of kind of addressed this question. But to the larger philosophical and moral, you know, precepts that were behind Star Trek, you know, I haven't seen as much of that in movies, and those are movies that are supposed to be. And some of that is marketing with the new the new show, but I'm personally very concerned because I love Star Trek so much and I love that aspect of it being a very, you know, this is important. There are deeper meanings. This is what the United Federation of Planets was based on. Do you guys see that continuing into discovery or you, I'm somewhat concerned just because of the, the advertising, I think, probably. But.
0: Well, I think um, certainly I'm not on the inside on that, but I, I, I feel that for us, for the next gen, there was a difference between the studio doing the movies versus the producers of the TV show. Uh, I, in terms of what really portrayed our ensemble the best, it was episodes like All Good Things. You really, you really felt our bond and, and how important our relationships were. The movies it was different it was really more from the studio it was a different thing it's like okay we want to hit the 18 to 36 year old males and we want this and we want that I think obviously I was not on the inside so this is all conjecture but that was my impression very much and I also I look at things like even it's funny you know even in the pop the the pop dolls they didn't go. Oh, they dead. did not do at Beverly no, Crusher. So
4: bad.
0: And so, yeah. And so, there's a hobbyist in LA who has been making Dr. Crusher pop dolls, and I've been selling them to raise money for my um, nonprofits, which we do um, art and we do theater, music, and uh, and movement projects now in France and also in the United States. And so, I'm, where can we find them on your website? I'm going to be auctioning off. Uh, uh, one this weekend and then i'm gonna i only do it for auctions and it all every penny goes to the nonprofit, profit which are listed nonprofits. profits uh and i'm i'm gonna i pretty much sell one every convention uh and it's really cool you know so uh that kind of discrimination yes. still goes on, it's weird. And and even in a Pez once, instead of putting Crusher, they put a figure of the world or something. I mean, yeah, yeah,
2: like, yeah, I've I, seen I, that. I went over I, to the Hallmark uh, like, booth that's here, actually. That made actually. me feel so bad. Actually, <laughs> this know? weekend, um, Hallmark is here promoting their little plushies, and for the next gen, they didn't put uh, any of the women in it. So it's like Data, Picard, Geordi, and Worf. And I, uh, I went and asked them, and they were like, well, you know, we picked the most popular characters yeah, the second they like don't But a, I don't think anyone's actually <laughs> tested it is, is a it self-fulfilling it so prophecy, prophecy? Yeah. because they're just
4: like oh these are the ones we think will be popular and those are the ones they make and then everyone buys them and they're like nobody wants the women ones because they're not bit like it's not there for us to have But so.
0: these are stuffed toys people like <laughs> but that's again it's, it's, so there's only role models for certain characters yeah. and then you don't have them for the others so yeah it, it still goes on and
4: gates earlier you did say um Uh, talking about the intellectual relationship that was kind of missing from the show between you and wesley i think that also plays into what you know the the question asker It's a weird thing to say the question asker said about being a millennial and we have an entire generation of people who watched this in their formative years and seeing that relationship it you know maybe and that also goes back to the discovery question jara about what we would like to see moving forward in terms of women and representation. That's something, that's something. Absolutely. Knowing that young boys are watching these female role models as well and they're just as, it's just as important for them to be all shades of women.
0: Yeah, yeah, right on. I have a son and uh, he's just turned 26 and I can say my son and also my nephew and niece and I have a lot of uh, students who I know who are millennials and I will make a generalization here. The millennials that I have encountered, they do not they do not see um, uh, race, uh, gender, they, they just don't see it in the same way. It's like you're a person. I wouldn't know, uh, unlike when my generation, someone would say, oh yeah, well this, this, this black guy said. No one does that. No one does it. You don't know if, if Joe is, Joe could be, Korean Joe could be. Caucasian, Joe could be Latino. You don't know. And it's such a relief. It's so awesome. They are going to lead us forward. Yeah. You know, if we let, if we let, that, if we let that lead us forward.
5: <laughs> well, I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying about, you know, kids these days, growing up with technology. It's they're born with it. It's, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And so they're not afraid of it. Yeah. And that's, I think when I look back to growing up with TNG, you know, I grew up as it was airing and... So there wasn't anything weird or new about it. That was, I was learning what the world was and part of that was what I saw on television. So, you know, yeah.
2: Yeah, but you know, the issues are still here, so we still have to keep talking about them, unfortunately. Um, But, uh, you know, we love having these kinds of conversations and um, it's been great to uh, share this time with you um, so uh, thanks so much lucia eliza gates and kayla and uh hope to see you around the convention floor thank you so much thank you. thanks everyone cool so yeah i mean that was um a lot of fun i definitely uh, appreciated getting to be on the stage with gates i wish you know there's a lot of just dis- things we could have discussed further and like at the end sort of an issue came up about generational differences in fans that i think could have been a lot more of a nuanced discussion except for you we ran out
1: of time but there's uh, only so much you can talk about in an hour yeah. And I
2: mean, that raises another interesting issue around these conventions, too, is, um, your and my panel were one of the very few panels with any women on them, much less all women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not counting, you know, the, the female celebrities, which we talked a bit about in our last episode, but the fan panels and the technical panels. If you look at like the lineup for the CBS All Access stage, there were like two women on there and they're fabulous. But it just meant that a lot of the stage time was dominated by guys on all the stages, not just the celebrities and the the main moderators.
1: So we've said it before and we'll say it again guys come on make a little room
2: yeah and actually um i was a little encouraged because if you you know listening to that you would have heard the the person ask a question about why aren't there a lot of women moderators here and what wasn't recorded is that after that good question <laughs> after that panel adam Malin, who's one of the uh, founders and owners of creation entertainment got up on stage and basically said, you know, uh, we heard that. That's a really excellent point. We'll uh, definitely have to look into that for next year. So, you know, I, I think that fans should hold them to that um, because we definitely could use more women and more people of color because we shouldn't have to be sort of competing uh, over like the one or two panels that are there. There should be a lot more space for for more diverse diverse people of all
1: stripes. Most definitely and as we were saying mine was uh the other all women panel wasn't it Ooh, yep it was great fun it was such a blast um for full disclosure we were following up a panel on um on the science behind the eclipse and the penumbra shadow of said eclipse so there was some very intensive science talk going on so after that uh we were all just kind of in a daze from <laughs> hearing all this information from backstage just being like oh how do we follow that up um which mm-hmm. wasn't so hard though because we as we all know the natural enemy of the sciences is the arts <laughs> so i really got to turn the whole thing 360 there um for full for further um, disclosure we also had a skull with klingon makeup on it on stage and that was Probably one of the best parts of the entire convention for me, just the existence of that prop. But yeah, this is the Bard and the Stars Klingon in the Original Shakespeare with uh, Brooke Wilkins, Lucia Lorenzi, and myself. We had some uh, special Klingon guests there to help us out, and honestly, I'm just very proud to have gotten to be a part of it as, and I hope that I don't come off as too impatient in it because I knew that within t- less than 20 minutes of the panel ending, I was going to have a flight to catch. Uh, so there's, defi- there's definitely a level of urgency in my performance.
2: Yes. But, um, that's awesome. I heard, uh, unfortunately, my flight was before the panel, so I didn't get to see it, but I heard nothing but good things. And, uh, it, uh, the photos looked awesome, so uh, I, I believe there's some on the show art for today if you're checking out our website. So without further ado, shall we...
1: Much ado about nothing, you might say, or much ado about Klingons. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, guys, Star Trek has always had a strong Shakespearean element in it, including episodes like "Conscience of the King. And then we have Shakespearean actors, you know, like Bill Shatner. Um, so, today we're going to talk a little bit about Star
9: Trek and the Bard. And uh, t- let me introduce the person who will be telling you about it, Miss Brooke Wilkins.
2: Oh,
4: <laughs> <laughs> you we can take this one you can take one else.
6: Okay, okay. Going to need the, okay. Well, okay
7: on. there we
10: are. So excited to then? be here. Um, uh, we've got um, Grace, uh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, Grace Moore and Lu- Lucia Lorenzi. I've never said your last name. Lorenzi? Welcome um, for our, our Bard in the Stars panel. We get to geek out mashing up Shakespeare and Star Trek because they go together really well. Um, so uh, today, let's do let's do brief introductions. Uh, my name's Brooke Wilkins. I am a dramaturg, which means I do like academic side of theater work helping the production team and educating the audience. Um, Periodically I'm on stage as well and I costume and I am a lawyer. I make no sense. I'm done. Um.
3: I'm Lucia. Um, I'm an ex-theater nerd turned into a a PhD in English literature, admittedly not a Shakespearean, so I won't tread on my colleague's work. Um, Yeah, so I'm really interested in literature when it appears in non-literary things like Star Trek.
1: I'm Grace Moore, co-host of Women at Warp, and I stabbed Caesar four times before realizing he owed me a 20. (laughs) (laughs) This is Yohorik. (laughs) Yes, we have Yohorik. We knew him well. Alas. 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 Alas.
10: So today we're going to be focusing on Klingons in Star Trek. And um, should should we do our Klingon Hamlets first? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so... Um, as you all know, there's a great line where um, we learned that um, Shakespeare was actually a Klingon, and apparently he wrote Hamlet in the original Klingon. So today, we have with us some Klingons who are going to duel as Hamlet, and we are going to de- determine who is the best Klingon Hamlet. And so we'd like to welcome to the stage David Holquin. He's a host of the Warrior Den on TrekRadio.net and a Klingon language expert. And come on stage, David. Yeah, and just a cool dude. And then we've got Alex Alexander. What well, Jordi? Jordi. Um, and and he is uh, a very popular Klingon pl- cosplayer here today.
1: So we have a. couple of... But if you're a Klingon of, uh, cosplayer, you're already popular. And we yeah, like,
10: yeah, yeah. So they have kindly um, um, agreed. I, I mean, bravely, honorably agreed to duel it out for us um, as Hamlets. So, um, David. Do you guys need? You guys need a mic. I got
6: one. Oh, you got one. Talk, ma. Talk, de. Mori. Azar, muh. Muh. Azadre. All right.
7: Bah Don't cut your
1: Wait, 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 wait.
7: Hamlet. We are doing
1: Hamlet. Oh. There we go. <laughs> if y'all aren't tweeting pictures of this, you're doing something wrong.
7: Fa, docha, yorek. Yintach, vish, vishov, horecho. Chagmoch, not, et, Tivmoch Rech O Tob. What shall need lore, Tubdaj, Villair? It's Dach Kitch Kitch, Najbor Yabdij.
1: Fabulous. My gorge almost rises at it. No goodly rotten apples here. <laughs> Skills. Thank you. Let's, Thank you very much. Let's give much. our Klingons another round of applause.
6: Um,
10: so how's that compared to English? guttural, very guttural it's very guttural, now, and and actually I want to talk a little bit, maybe we'll no, I'll mention this just right now Mm -hmm. no, no, we'll talk about it later, (laughs) remember how, was that, did that really feel like Klingon or was there something just a little bit wrong, think about that and I hope we can bring it up a little bit later because we'll talk about the existential crisis in Hamlet Mm -hmm. and the Klingon Empire okay Um, yay existential crisis (laughs) (laughs) okay now have we got we got the computer um, up and oh, an error occurred. We've got technical difficulties. Fie and fie
1: again. I'm gonna okay. just keep doing Elizabeth Curses. and non sequiturs. There we go.
10: This is what we need. Okay. so. Okay. Oh, I can see what's on the screen. No. Oh, this. This is not happening. It's happening. It's it is. To say the least, I mean, oh my attention gosh. here is killing I me. I had it all queued up, and it's not doing it. No, it's on my computer.
6: Okay. <coughs>
1: okay. If we were here performing we get. at the Globe, we'd have people off on oh the side singing now. Hmm. <laughs> Do you understand what it's saying? More showmanship. More showmanship. <laughs>
6: um, i not, sure why it's not doing it.
1: Thank you. Thank
3: okay. you. Like you what had had
1: <laughs> I didn't say you could stop. <laughs> ah, ah. Can we get a kapla for our Klingon volunteers? <laughs> one more time. That didn't sound quite honorable enough. Just one more. <laughs> I like how we've got the vague background music from the other panel going on right now. It just kind of makes them our split up. Good Gordon. Good Gordon?
10: I'm a Mormon, I don't swear. (laughs) Do you need me to swear on your behalf? (laughs) I don't know what else to do. Oh, shoot. Okay, guys, we're just going to have to go off of our Trekky memories because, um, and that's just so sad. Okay. We have to remember Star Trek Six. You remember, we're, I'll, I'll do a, a brief summary of it really quick, and um, we can bring up this. Um, so, Star Trek VI. There's a dinner between the Klingons and the Federation on the Enterprise, where it's we tense. learn it's tense. It's tense. It does not go well. Romulan Ale is involved, uh-uh. and we learn that um, uh, Shakespeare was done in the original Klingon, and there's various um, uh, Klingon references, uh, Shakespeare references that are um, mentioned. So, for instance. Oh, good, Gordon. N- notifications.
6: Let loose the dogs.
10: Yes, let loose the dogs of war. Yes! Yes! I'm getting all nervous and messing everything up, guys.
1: Straight up, this scene is just what like is a Shakespeare doing? off for all the actors.
6: <laughs>
1: Let's all just stand up and recite Star Trek Six together. <laughs> Okay, oh, you know that's her. what it's about.
10: Oh, okay, here we go. So we have several Shakespeare quotes, um, but what they're really talking about, it's not just Shakespeare, it's, um, they're talking about the conflict between their two countries, um, their two, the two governments, the organizations, the Klingon Empire and the Federation. And Shakespeare's kind of the interstitial fluid in how they communicate about this, um, along with some quotes, references to Hitler and things, which are, anyway... Yeah, yeah, we, we've got uh, a, a lot of references. So um, the, the question is, when, when, um, when, when the Klingons say uh, you've ne- never experienced Shakespeare until you've read him in the original Klingon, which why anybody would read Shakespeare boggles my mind, you've got to watch him... Um, is is the issue of cultural appropriation? So um, what? So the question. So the question t- to discuss right now is what is cultural appropriation, and um, how it relates to the scene. So, Lucia, can you can you give us a, a, a rundown of cultural cool. appropriation?
3: Yeah. So I guess the tweet version of it, the short version of it. The cultural appropriation is is it involves power dynamics where more powerful powerful cultures um, take from other cultures without any sort of engagement or respect for the original traditions, um, which is different than cultural, like cross-cultural engagement and that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. it really is about power and often about taking a particular thing and taking it out of the original context.
1: And while we do definitely have in this scene it being taken out of the original context and being kind of claimed as a Klingon work, Mm -hmm. you know, calling it the original Klingon, we also have to ask ourselves in this scene, Are the Klingons the oppressive party or the oppressed party, and that's where a lot of the tension comes from—the question of who's in the right, who's in the wrong in this situation when they're both just tongue lashing each other over dinner? Mm
6: -hmm.
10: Yeah. um, So my question is: Are the Klingons um, appropriating it, or are they—is it cultural appropriation or artistic appropriation in the in the Klingon with what they're doing? Do, are they making fun of Shakespeare or are they actually Well, who hasn't, for one thing?
1: Um, for another, we've got to respect the fact that translation is the first step to appreciation if you're trying to make something accessible to different cultures. So it definitely makes sense that um, the Klingons would want to ring it, read it in Klingon if they're going to read it. Again, if we do see it performed, though, I love the idea that there is a, a Klingon Shakespeare core out there, and I really want to know what their long-term production plans are. Um, Um, But but yeah, it would need to be translated in order for it to be accessible. We have, um, I think you mentioned earlier when we were talking that uh, translation is a big theme in Star Trek VI and that idea that this um, great humanistic work is being taken and being sort of translated and sort of uh, probably in in Kirk's mind garbled through the Klingon tongue is probably just kind of an affront instantaneously to him that it's being translated and being othered in this sense.
3: Yeah, I mean I think it's interesting that that Shakespeare often gets You know, you can't mess with Shakespeare. You have to do it in your English accents, and, you you know, you have (laughs) to do it in the proper time and place. But Shakespeare is always in translation, right? It's in translation from the the original language, um, the original, like, form of English that was being used at the time. And and Shakespeare's sort of universality, as it were, lends it to translation. So you see productions that are set, you know, during the Civil War in the American South or with Mm -hmm. mobsters in the 30s. Um, And so the idea that Shakespeare for
1: me anyway, is always in translation. This, at this is an important point. At this point, um, perception of Shakespeare's work and the influence it's had is uh, as big as, if not bigger than the actual works of Shakespeare mm-hmm. themselves. So it's constantly being interpreted. You have to look at it with a fresh eye in order to see anything done with it these days. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's
10: interesting, when you look at some of Shakespeare's uh, words in a Klingon context, mm-hmm. it's very interesting. I think that exchange when... Um, Gorkon first quotes Shakespeare and says um, to the undiscovered country, everybody gives all of the humans in the room, turn and look at him like, why are you toasting death? Mm -hmm. Because that's what the undiscovered country is in the context of that speech. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it's very interesting that uh, for a Klingon, they live closer to death than humans do. We try to avoid it, but Klingons are always about battle. They always are closer to death. And in truth, death is our future so it's really I find that I find that resonance really fascinating how it it tra- it doesn't quite translate it's actually changed a little bit and given some depth um in that context I
1: like that also this idea of the Klingons referring to uh, death and the future as being sort of simultaneous it's um it's not a bleak perspective, it's a dark uh, perspective, but it definitely fits in with that Klingon ethos, and I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to know how many people were able to like, see the trees or posters and hear early on that there was a Star Trek movie going to be called The Undiscovered Country, and they were just like, oh, Shakespeare reference! I want to know how many people got it right off the bat. <laughs> Probably only all the, a few. All the cool people did. Oh, Raise hey! your hands.
10: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So here's another question. So Chang implies during the dinner, which we didn't get to see. I am so sorry because that scene is a work of art. Straight. I've been obviously watching it over and over again, and you know the universe cursed me. But it's a you can watch that scene over and over again, get something new out of it every single time.
1: Um, You just get to see some powerhouse acting. Yeah, it's
10: amazing. Um, So Chang implies. and and other humans earlier in the movie had also implied that the Federation is dying because the Klingon Empire is dying uh, after Praxis exploded. Um, and it, it's the implication there is it's as if the conflict between those two countries is uh, what defines the, the con- countries or governments, what defines them and therefore creates them. And it's almost ignoring the fact that it's the internal decay of the Klingon Empire that is leading to the Klingon Empire's des- destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that kind of background, um, how does how does that resonate with similar situations in Shakespeare? And what does it teach us about our own... World.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we've definitely got the uh, the King Lear analogy there, with lots of turning again. Uh, a house turned upon itself cannot stand, and we get a lot of that in that one. Basically, Goneril and Regan, they could have got it together, but they kind of screwed each other over there, and thus screwed the whole plan.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm, if I may, you know, not totally recite it by verse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was the less usage of the word screwed in the original text. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure.
3: And I think Hamlet is a, is, a, is a great... Oh, yeah. It's such a great example of, just of, of decay, right? And it's, you know, something is rotten in Denmark, that, mm-hmm. the, that it's the decay mm-hmm. um, of that entire family and that entire house, mm-hmm. um, And the way that it all falls apart. And it's interesting because at the end of Hamlet, sort of Horatio is the one who's sort of tasked to pass on the story. Mm -hmm. And so part of me wonders also, is it just the falling of the empire or is it the loss of the story, right? Because if the the story of Denmark goes on, right, then there's still sort of honor in it.
2: Mm -hmm.
10: Yeah. And we talked earlier about how um, from the Klingon perspective, Hamlet is just really a bad They would
1: hate Hamlet.
10: Klingons are supposed to take revenge. You know, Worf goes in and kills Duras Mm -hmm. immediately Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. he finds out that um, Duras killed his Kalar. Um, Hamlet... The Klingon Hamlet just sits there and dithers. The human Hamlet sits there and dithers too. He's but just from the Klingon, like, I can't yeah. do
1: it. I can't kill him while he's praying. Yeah. Um,
10: and from the Klingon perspective, that is the worst possible thing. So there's an existential crisis that the heir to the Klingon Empire can't be a Klingon, mm-hmm. and so there's that kind of a crisis. So I think it's interesting that they would they would quote that and mm-hmm.
1: not to mention existential crisis is one of the huge primary themes of Hamlet in and of itself. Right.
10: Um, We're going to go through that list again, just in case you guys are bored and want (laughs) to read what's on there. Oh, there's a picture of Queen Elizabeth. Good Queen Bess. Um, uh, So, let's see. What else did we want to talk about with this? Um, We already talked about translation. We've kind of been through our questions. Do you guys want to play a game? Let's play a game. Would you like to play a game? (laughs) Where are the games? (laughs) The games. The games afoot. Okay, and that is Shakespeare. It's not just um, what's Sherlock that? Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Okay. That's Shakespeare, Henry yeah. the Fifth. See, you already learned something. Aren't you glad you came? Ouch. Okay, so in the interest of time we, we have um, already kind of filled, gone through this. We've got eight Klingon characters versus eight Shakespeare characters and put them in single combat, uh, found the winner. And we've already, just for the sake of time, been through a, f- a few of them to help us be able to finish. Mm-hmm. So our first conflict was between Kor and Henry V, and we thought Henry V, who conquered all of France, would um, win that battle. Um, Between Kalar and Richard III, we had a hard time deciding this one, Um, because Kalar would just totally kick his hiney, but Richard III, who can woo and win a woman over the dead body of the man, her father-in-law that he murdered, and he still gets her, it's like,
1: this guy's charming. All he has to do is convince her to come up to a tower once and... It's over. Yeah. It's like, Richard III is manipulative
10: and charming. We couldn't. We, we decided he might actually defeat Kalar. Not in a battle of physical battle, but in a...
1: In a diplomacy in battle. In a diplomacy battle. Yeah.
10: Um, Duras versus Joan of Arc. Two bad guys. Joan of Arc would win, mm-hmm. hands down. Um, uh, Gorkon versus Julius Caesar. They both got assassinated... They'd both have us who, see who can get stabbed the most times contest yeah. there. And we figured Gorkon's probably been stabbed most and survived. Yeah. Julius Caesar succumbed.
1: Yeah. Um, also, Gorkon didn't complain about it when he was going down. He didn't go, why, Brutus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't have time to talk. Nah. He just died. Yeah. Um, Straight
10: to Stovacore. <laughs> Worf versus Hamlet. Worf, of Worf, course. Obviously.
1: Um, of the two avenging sons here, Worf actually got some stuff done. Yeah.
10: Lursa and Bator versus Goneril and Regan. We and had opinions this, on this one, this, yeah. This one could be fun. And, and we kind of decided, Lursa and Bator, if it was just Goneril, she would have won. Yeah. But Goneril and Regan together, they, they're not a Again, good Again,
1: they can't Mm-mm. keep it together as a, dub, as yeah. a duo. They'd turn yeah. against each other. Um, Gowron versus
10: Othello. Uh, we think Othello would win. So, oh, I hear some... People disagree. We hear dissent in the crowd. Yeah, and Martok versus Macbeth. Mostly, that's a poetic thing. Why I wanted to put them together: Martok versus Macbeth. Also, the this alliteration. Is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's very all, 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 alliterative. And of course, Martok would win. Now, Absolutely. if it was Lady Macbeth, oh, might be another yeah. story.
1: She got that <laughs> ball rolling. Mac- so, Macbeth kind of screwed himself over. So,
10: we've got Henry V versus Richard III. Who wins? Henry. Henry. I Henry, love that we have opinions Henry, in our class. I I Henry, I, I Henry that. I 100% agree. Okay, yeah. we got Henry. Okay. Okay. Joan of Arc versus Gorkon. I'm hearing a okay. lot of yells for Jorkon. Jorkon. <laughs> Ooh, shall we match? Today's
1: mashup day. That's shall true. Shall we mash them together? Joan of Gorkon? <laughs> Shh. <laughs> Joan of Kronos would be... Oh, my God. I want to see the Klingons adapt that. This is happening, guys. (laughs) We are doing this. Klingon theater history is being made
10: as we speak. (laughs) Okay. Joan of Gorkon. Okay. (laughs) Worf versus Lursa and Bator. Okay. (laughs)
1: Worf. Yeah. Clear consensus here. Yeah. Clear consensus. Okay. Othello versus
10: Martok. Martok. (laughs) Martok. Okay. All righty. Okay, we've only got one Shakespeare character, one pure Shakespeare character. One and a half. Here. Okay, guys. But Hen- we're not, not going to judge on v half. Henry V versus Joan of Gorkon. I am cosplaying this, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited about that. Okay, Henry V versus Joan of Gorkon. Joan. Joan. My. Okay, okay. We got we to do a raise of hands here. Henry V, raise your hand. Okay, Joan of Gorkon. It is so Joan wow. of Gorkon.
1: Yay! Oh yeah! I gotta stop saying yay, don't I?
10: <laughs> okay.
1: Huzzah! Huzzah!
10: Okay. Worf versus Martok. Oh guys, this is this is hurting my heart. Oh, my God. I'm hearing a little dissent. I'm, I'm hearing mostly Worf. I'm hearing mostly Worf, too. Okay, raise of hands, Worf. We can't,
1: fa- we can't mash these characters Worf. together. It'd be a little I know, weird. these guys
10: shouldn't fight when they are. It would okay, be such an talk.
1: struggle. Oh, good, Gordon. What if they became a tag team? Ooh. <laughs> what if they just teamed up? Klingon tag team, team wrestling, Mar- I like okay. it, but I think we're going to okay. have to save it for another panel.
10: Worf, <laughs> Worf and Martok. <laughs> I... I, I you know, I, I don't believe in false dichotomies. They're, false dichotomy, no So you're right. We can put these guys as a team versus Joan of
1: Gourdon. are getting hissed. Huh? Getting hissed.
10: Wharf talk? Wharf talk?
1: Wharf talk. Is that his <laughs> podcast, Wharf Talk? <laughs> talk about prune juice and the song you're ignoring a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a party. Okay, guys. This is
10: the final battle. Joan of Gorkon versus Worf Talk.
2: <laughs>
10: okay. Worf, Worf Talk. Okay. Alexander? No.
1: Uh-uh. He, he'll never win. He, ne- yeah, he can't no. win.
10: Alexander could play Hamlet, though.
1: Oh. I could see it. Yeah.
10: yeah. See it. Okay. Okay, so we Wharf Talk again. Let's see Wharf Talk. Okay, and Joan of Gorkon. Okay, it's Wharf Talk. Yeah.
6: <laughs>
10: there we go. Okay. There we we have our winners. And on a mashup day this works. <laughs> okay, so um, we'll
1: be hearing from the Roddenberry lawyers shortly, I'm sure.
10: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I am seriously already planning out my Joan of Gorkon cosplay. Mm-hmm. That will, that will be awesome. Although I don't know how I'll do a French Klingon accent. Not a clue. Well, if
1: they can do Klingon filigree, you can do Klingon accent. There with, we go. Yeah. With, with some Frenchy there. Okay. Well, thank you guys for coming to the Bard and the Stars
10: panel, and. Um, I, I hope we can continue doing this because there is so much to talk about in relation to Shakespeare and Star Trek. So, totally. thank you. Oh, oh, does does anybody have any questions or anything? We've oh, got yes. a few minutes. Oh yes. yeah. Yeah.
9: Hello. 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 So awesome panel and awesome discussion, um, but so what? I think when you're asking yourself why does Hamlet, why do Klingons find Hamlet intriguing? Why would they do that? You. It sounds stupid you are thinking about it from a human perspective.
10: Okay. That's what should we got. Change our perspective.
9: All right. So in the human perspective, Hamlet is about should I take revenge? Mm-hmm. Should I murder? The Klingon perspective is should I not take revenge? Is it better for my country that I not take revenge?
10: Oh. And that's kind of in line with Gorkon's um, approach when he's trying to the détente that he's trying to create. Yes. yes. Yeah.
9: So you have there's a lot of great stuff, and they actually wrote the Shakespeare into Star Trek 6 because Christopher Plummer was bored with the character. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Nicholas Meyer said, "All right." Well, I'll also, if you
1: up. have Christopher Plummer, you yes. gotta give him something to no. yes they to actually, soliloquize about. And
9: Mark Oakland had to rewrite the Klingon because Christopher Plummer was like, "That sounds stupid. I'm not reading that." So. Well, okay,
10: okay, and, and you know Plummer. what? In my panic to get ready for today, I tried to learn Klingon by doing this.
1: It is super hard. It is hard. Okay, yes, thank you. Thank you. I really do hope we get further discussion on uh, least to most approved of Shakespeare plays from a Klingon perspective. Like, we established they would hate Winter's Tale the most. Yeah,
10: Winter's Tale would be a terrible Klingon play. Oh,
1: but hate. the Henriette would be an awesome Klingon play. They'd be all over it. Yeah.
3: *Romeo and Juliet is just two houses.
10: Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Twelfth Night, right. Twelfth Night, as a Klingon play. Mm. Twins. Yeah, I see it. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs>
9: I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but in the original iteration of the Klingon language, there was no verb to be. And um, I thought it was kind of cheating for them to use that in Hamlet's, uh, you know, in Hamlet, the Klingon version. How do you think this is more psycholinguistics? A culture evolves without a verb to be. And how is that reflected in its literature?
10: You know, I love the question um, because I strongly believe the language and the stories we use create who we are. Mm. So I don't know the George answer. George
9: Orwell agrees.
6: Yeah, I, I don't know the answer. In, 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 in reality, the to uh, be is not literal. It's exist,
7: whether to exist or not, or cease to exist. So that's where the interpretation
6: into your turn language comes in. You have so many
1: words that mean the same thing. <laughs> <laughs>
7: tach actually means to survive or exist or endure. So, oh, tach, so simply
1: being is surviving, or
7: tach bet, to, or not to survive or exist. Mm. Mm.
1: See, you're surviving, existing,
6: Ooh. not being. See, humans have a bee. No, no, be is different. Klingons oh. exist.
10: So there's more action in the Klingon language. It's, right, to it's survive. the idea is to take action.
1: And almost in,
9: make it a transitive verb, not intransitive. Yeah,
1: and the, be, the English
5: you're is passive. In English, not so.
1: <laughs> Why haven't we gotten Ezra Pound up on this Klingon business? Oh It'd be amazing. It's cool. Thank you. Um, where are we on time? Um, okay. Um,
10: did we discuss that enough for you?
9: It's up to you guys. Okay.
10: <laughs>
11: Good you <have> her. <laughs>
10: thank you. Thank you for the thank question. You. Yes.
11: Hi. Thank you so much for this panel. Uh, it's been really enjoyable. And also, thank you for allowing us to be. What would they call them? The
10: Groundlings, um, at the, at groundlings, the, groundlings, groundlings. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so, you guys you are very well behaved groundlings. And
11: such, especially mm-hmm. me. Um, my question, well, my setup is um, one of my favorite productions of Macbeth was actually set in like nineteen fifties Louisiana, and it was it was funny because you know everybody's always drinking and it's Tamara and Tamara and so on. Um, so one thing I love about Shakespeare is how it you know it doesn't have to be straight and you know all black and you know whatever you can you can bring it anywhere right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about the the Klingon thing is we we brought it anywhere. (laughs) Right? Um, So personally I would love to see a Macbeth set with a Klingon cast and someone like the Duras sisters as Lady Macbeth and so on. Mm
6: -hmm.
11: Um, And I was wondering uh, could each of you maybe say what play you would like to cast in a Klingon setting, how perhaps, and maybe if one of you wants to say that's fine. Um, So that's my question. How would you set and cast a, a Klingon Shakespeare production?
10: Okay. So Lear is probably one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. Yeah. And I've, I've thought about this before. And, and Goneril and Regan, Lorsa and Bator. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and oh, I, um, I, I thought through the whole thing at there one was, point. And the
11: daughters would be perfect. Yeah.
10: yeah. Like, because um, Kalar would be a great Cordelia I think a lot of productions of Lear kind of don't get Cordelia right because she actually is as stubborn and strong and uh, purposeful as the rest of her family um, even though she's directed to cry a lot um, and so I think Kalar would make a great Cordelia um, and I, I even had a Lear at one point and now I can't remember anyway that, that, that's I would love to see Lear with Klingons
11: thank you so much
3: D- you guys yeah, remember? I mean, I would like oh, to see sorry. Romeo and Juliet just because I'm, I'm interested in what Klingon love stories... Like, like, it's a love story and a tragedy. Like, what's yeah. more Klingon than that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm always interested in what, like, love scenes would look like in Klingon. Like, are they just going to, like, attack <laughs> I mean, each other? Probably. Yeah, like, super so okay. violent. Um, but I just like the idea, like, two warring houses just sounds so Klingon to me, and I would love to see that.
1: Klingon Titus Andronicus would be yeah. brutal. Oh. <laughs> That would be heavy metal.
7: We got time for one more question.
1: Okay. Thank you
5: you
7: very much. Thank you.
1: Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Oh, one more question. Okay.
11: Hi there. How does uh, Klingon adjust for uh, Shakespeare's uh, rhyme and meter in his English prose?
10: You know, I actually did a little research on that because I don't speak Klingon, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I love Shakespeare. And you, when you're when you're performing Shakespeare, you have to rely on the poetry, the structure that uh, that he put in the language, um, and so it is very important. That's a really good question. And actually, the translators did try to capture some of the scansion and um, structure and the poetry as much as they could in the Klingon. But it's interesting. Some of the translations are inter- um, different. Like um, in Klingon. Uh, when Hamlet says um, about Yorick here hung those lips that I have kissed Um, in Klingon it actually is literally the chin that I have bitten
7: Um, (laughs) and, and another example is when they talk about the slings and arrows the Klingon language did not have a word for arrow or sling, so it's which sometimes which is super weird, right? But they use They're the word for torpedo, so it's like you could think of a arrow almost as a torpedo in a way. So some some adjustments have to be made, but it, at that point, it gets to what is the essence of tri-
6: Klingons are more advanced than you. Here,
10: here's here's one of my favorite adjustments for for the Klingon. Um, uh, Hamlet's talking about. Uh, Again, oh, it's the Yorick speech. Um, Now get you to my lady's chamber and tell her, let her paint an inch thick to this favor she must come. And Klingon is, and tell her, even if she underwent a thousand cosmetic surgeries to this favor she must come. I thought that was funny. It's funny because
3: I feel like uh, when I've taught Shakespeare to my students, they often struggle with the language. And I think that the discussions we're having about how... English and Klingon work together would be really interesting to help students understand Shakespeare, and probably more interesting because I've taught a lot of students are like, why are we reading Shakespeare? And yeah, I'm why like, are you reading it? You should be performing it, it okay. and it's amazing. Like, there's if and it sort of makes me wonder like, why are we teaching Shakespeare and not Star Trek? Like, what 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 are the what are the stories that we mm-hmm. want people to learn from? Right. So I think that moments where we can integrate. Discussions of Shakespeare or texts that might seem dry to people mm-hmm. or that aren't accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a great teaching tool. Yeah, definitely. Thank agree. you. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. And I, got,
7: I got one more little thing to add. Um, the Klingon translation of Hamlet was uh, actually done by the Klingon Language Institute, which you could find at kli.org the Klingon Language Institute. So they do have the, the translation of Hamlet comes with both the Klingon and the English. The KLI have also translated Much Ado About Nothing, which is Parmo Tin Mish. And uh, for another restored, another work of uh, writing, restored to the original Klingon is The Tale of Gilgamesh. So if you want to learn more about that, go to KLI.org and they have a store where you could purchase... Hamlet, Much Ado About Nothing, and a few other good things.
1: Awesome. And, and remember, if we shadows doth offend, we have touched neither the canon of Star Trek or Shakespeare. It's all good. And that was The Bard in the Stars. Thank you all so much for listening to our convention coverage from Star Trek Las Vegas 2017. Jarrah, where can people find you on the internet?
2: You can find me at TrekkieFeminist.com or on Twitter at Jarrah Penguin. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin.
1: And I'm Grace, and you can find me on Twitter at BonecrusherJank or, more often than not, in the dumpster behind the 7-Eleven.
2: <laughs> and if you're looking to contact our show, you can find us at WomenAtWarp.com, at, at WomenAtWarp on Twitter, Facebook.com slash WomenAtWarp. And you can email us at crew at women at warp.com. Uh, we love to hear from you. And uh, thanks so much for listening. I love that dumpster. It smells like taquitos.